This morning's sermon is entitled, Incarnation, Forgive and Fear. Incarnation, Forgive and Fear. This sermon is one that's kind of in between Christmas and New Year. So it still has to do with incarnation somewhat. But this is a sermon that God deeply put in my own heart for the new year. Here's what we know. There's excitement about Christmas, and yet there's also the closing out of a year and the moving into a new one, and this is a big year, 2020. It's a new decade. When we think about it, that time between Christmas and New Year, how many of you have actually forgotten what day of the week it was sometime between Christmas and New Year? It's kind of that random time. One of my daughters asked me yesterday, hey, Dad, what day of the week is it? You kind of lose track. But what we know is today is Sunday, and that makes tomorrow what? UVA winning the Orange Bowl. That's what that means. Yes, it is Monday. But I have to confess that this sermon is an unusual sermon. Normally, I would capture something like Simeon in the temple eight days after Jesus was born, and we would kind of follow up on the Christmas story. I'll bring a brief devotional at this evening's vigil as we look at what we're leaving behind from this year, and we're looking forward to 2020 and what God's putting in our hearts. I'll probably utilize Simeon as part of the devotional for this evening. But instead of normally what I would do, I felt like God impressed on me that I'm supposed to speak on forgive and fear, forgiveness and fear. And I want to accentuate the fact that the Lord spoke this to my own heart. Where this comes from really does have to do with the incarnation. Because if you were to read in Luke chapter 1, verses 22, or 32 through 33, I want to remind you of the announcement to Mary that we read in an earlier sermon this, this month, where the angel of the Lord comes to Mary, and in the Annunciation, here's what the angel says to her. He, meaning Jesus, will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him, his throne, give him the throne of his father David. And the next phrase is fascinating. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now almost all of us have heard that read before. But this morning this sermon is shorter because the children are here with us. But this sermon is also different because as a pastor, when you study for a sermon, normally about 80% of what you study hits the cutting floor and about 20% gets preached. But I began to really look at the different men and women that were named throughout the birth story of Jesus. One of them was Jacob. Here it tells us that Jesus will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. It's an odd phrase. It doesn't mention Abraham, who's the founder of the Jewish faith, but it is Jacob. And so I found myself studying on Jacob. And although I didn't preach on him during the Christmas season, here goes. That phrase, he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, is the one that gripped me. And I think the reason why is because God also put in my heart that I'm supposed to speak this morning on forgiveness or forgive and fear. 
Well, the story of Jacob has both. So I want to talk about Jacob, this one that Jesus will rule over his descendants. I know some of us have never read the Older Testament, so Jacob might be for, for, kind of foreign to you. What you need to know is that he is one of the three patriarchs of the Jewish faith from the Older Testament. There's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Great-grandfather, grandfather, father, Jacob. His name means surplanter or deceiver. He gained that name because he had a twin. He was one of twins. And the scripture tells us that in his mother's womb, in Rebecca's womb, these two twins would wrestle a lot. And because of that, the mother knew and God showed Rebecca that these two boys in her womb would be two separate nations of people. Now what we discover is, is when the first son comes out, the son that will receive the blessing of God and a double portion of inheritance according to the Jewish law, as the first son comes out, the second son grabs the heel of the first one as the first one comes out of the womb. And because of that, Jacob is named Jacob. He's the one that grabs the heel, which means surplanter or deceiver. As one biblical theologian put it, Jacob was true to his name. He was a conniver, a deceiver, and a cheat. His most famous cheating or conniving is sort of the foundation for the story we're going to look at in the Older Testament. The foundational story is this, is that Esau is his twin brother and he was born first and he had what was known as the blessing of the birthright. We know this about Esau. The scriptures tell us that Esau means red. He was born with long red hair. He was a hairy little fella. He was also his dad's favorite. And the reason why is he was a hunter. He loved to be out in the woods hunting and fishing. He was an outdoorsman. God bless him. Then there was Jacob. Jacob is the younger twin He's the conniver, the deceiver, the cheat. It tells us in Genesis 25 that he liked to hang around the tents with his mom. Two very different boys, twins. He was his mother's favorite. Their family was filled with dysfunction. Dad favored one son. Mom favored the other. Well, mom wanted Jacob to have the blessing that was really due through birthright to Esau, the oldest. And so Jacob deceived his dad when his dad was up in years. When his dad was going blind and losing his senses, what Jacob does while Esau is out in the woods hunting as he prepares his dad's favorite meat, he ties some fur onto his arms and he goes to his dad and changes his voice and kind of pretends like he's Esau. And so his father gives the birthright blessing on him. When Esau comes in out of the field with game for his father, his dad is confused and confesses to his oldest son that he has given the blessing to someone else. When Esau finds out that Jacob has deceived their father, 
he makes a commitment, and that is, as soon as he is done grieving their father when their father dies, he will kill his brother. Jacob receives the news, and he runs. When we look at the story in Genesis 27, it's one of those stories that is heartbreaking. The deceit, the lying, and the cheating. But what ends up happening is, 20 years later, we pick up the story. And it's where Jacob is now wanting to make things right with his brother Esau. And we pick up our reading now. Now remember, this is 20 years later. For 20 years, Jacob has borne the burden of what he did to his brother. We pick up our reading now in Genesis 32, 11. Jacob prays this prayer to God. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me. What you have in that prayer, two things. There's this need for forgiveness, and there's fear. You find that permeating this story. If you were to read on, you would discover that Jacob prays this prayer to God, and God begins to move him towards his brother. The report that Jacob receives about Esau is that Esau is now approaching him with 400 men. And Jacob is scared to death. And so scripture tells us that what he does is, is he lines up everything he owns. He's become very wealthy. God has blessed him. He has many wives, many children, and a lot of stuff. And so what he does is phases his stuff, and he sends stuff out ahead of him in order to meet his brother Esau to try to win him over. Now, Scripture tells us something that is very fascinating. And what's fascinating is, is that the night before... Jacob goes out to meet with Esau. Something happens. And that's where I want to focus. So picture this. Jacob knows that Esau is coming towards him with 400 men. We know by his prayer that he's filled with fear. He's hoping that there will be forgiveness. And he asks God to save him from his own brother. Here's what happens the night before they meet. Genesis 32, 22 to 32. The title is, Jacob Wrestles with God. Verse 22 tells us this. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and, and crossed the ford at Jadok. After he sent them across the stream, this is key, he sends them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So picture this, Jacob is on one side of the river or stream, he sends his wives, his kids, and everything he knows across the stream, but he stays on the other side. Picking up our reading, verse 24, it says, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his, his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
And the man said, what is your name? Jacob, he replied. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, meaning surplanter or deceiver, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because God, I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. When you think about this episode, you picture it as being filled with the need for forgiveness and fear. Jacob prays a prayer that God would save him from his brother. And what God does is send what the Jews declare is an angel. The rabbis who study this tell us that a man of God, an angel, arrives. And he wrestles with Jacob all night. But I want you to notice what happens. At the end of their wrestling match, Jacob's hip is blown out. And instead of letting go of the angel or the man of God, he clings to him and he begs him for a blessing. You see, the original blessing that Jacob had received was due to deceit. Now he wants an authentic blessing from God. So he hangs on to him. And a man says to him in verse 28, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel because you have struggled with God and humans and have overcome. That name literally means Israel, contend with God and man. Now that idea of fear and forgiveness. When I think about us, and again this is a briefer sermon, when I think about my own life and what God's been speaking to me, and I think about us as a church as we put feet to our faith through this story, I want us to keep in mind two things. The story is framed by two primary thoughts, and I want you to catch them. Number one, he prayed that God would save him from Esau. He prayed that prayer. But the second thing is easy to miss. It's the idea that Jacob intentionally stays on one side of the river, but he sends everyone else on ahead. As I read this, it dawned on me that if you were to look in the Older Testament, you would discover that whenever Israel crosses a river, it's a new chapter, it's a new day, God's going to do something new. And here he is, receiving the name of Israel, and he receives it on one side of the river or the stream, and after he receives that name, he's going to walk through the water into a new day, into what's ahead of him, and God knows that this is coming. And so as I think about putting feet to our faith, notice that Jacob had been praying that God would save him from Esau. But the other thing is this crossing of the water this idea of being on one side, and when you cross over it, it will be a new day. God will do something new. It's going to be in many ways like a baptism event 
into the better life that God has. So again, putting feet to our faith. There are several things devotionally I'd like for us to think about. First of all, Jacob wrestled all night. I have a question for you. Has something been keeping you up at night? Has it? When you've been up at night, have you been wrestling with God or your own thoughts? Which is it? There's a difference. You see, Scripture tells us that Jacob wrestled with God and man, and he contended in wrestling with God and man. It does not say that Jacob wrestled with his own thoughts. He wrestled with God. One of the things I've committed to do after studying this and looking into the new year is doing the mental math on the things that have kept me awake this year. And in doing so, what I'm going to do is I'm going to wrestle with God with that. And here's the good news. Wrestling with God now looks totally different because Jesus has come into the world. We now have someone who knows what it's like to be up all night and to be suffering and to be in pain. He knows what it's like. So now we can say confidently, God is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. The second thing is this, is that he did wrestle with God. But I want you to notice what happens, is that in wrestling with God, his hip is blown out, at which point, if you've ever wrestled, and I have, as soon as you're injured, the first thing you do is you roll away from your opponent, you grab your hip, and you scream for the ref. That's what you do. Not Jacob. Jacob is going to hang on to God until God blesses him. He's going to hang on. He's not going to give up. And oh, by the way, it's been 20 years since God gave him a promise, and he is hanging on, and he's de determined he will get that promise from God. The third thing, and I want you to catch this, that in this story, devotionally, what we find is, is Jacob has been praying that God would save him from Esau. What Jacob really needs is to be saved from himself. That's what he really needs. You see, what's coming at him is the result of his own sin. The result of his own dysfunction and brokenness. But he has never dealt with it. And now it's coming back home to roost. And here he is, wrestling with God. But his prayer initially, many verses forward, or before that was, save me from Esau, but God wants to do a work in him. What's cool is, is God is using Esau to actually save Jacob. Please understand this, that Jesus Christ visits us and comes to us if we want to really deal with our stuff. If we do, he will be there. And if you are like me, oftentimes I'm awake at night because of my stuff. Stuff I have not dealt with, but God's beginning to knock on the door of my heart. The next thing devotionally I noticed was this, that when Jacob wrestled with God, he becomes Israel. But in that transition from going from Jacob to Israel, 
he went from having a swagger to a limp. If you read, you will notice that Jacob is pretty proud of everything he's got. He's pretty proud of everything he's accomplished. He even recounts it to God about all the stuff he has. But God reaches down and changes his swagger to a limp. Here's the other thing devotionally that I pulled out of this, is that if we're going to exit 2019 and step into a new decade, we're going to do it at our very best if we hold on to God and ask him to bless us. But I want you to catch this. God's blessing on Jacob caused pain in his life. You have to notice that. Sometimes when God saves us from ourselves, it gets worse before it gets better. Notice what God does. He blesses Jacob, and Jacob limps for the rest of his life. The final devotional thought is this, and this is one God is impressing on me, is that when I wrestle with God, whatever's keeping me awake at night, especially if it's my stuff, if I truly wrestle with God and He wins and I win because He blesses me, I'm not looking to be saved from Esau, I'm, being, I'm looking to be saved from myself. That when God touches me and blesses me, it affects my descendants. Now we go back to what the angel said to Mary, that Jesus, Jesus would be the one who would rule over Jacob's descendants. You see, what we find is, is Jacob wrestles with God. God does this incredible work in his life as Jacob wrestles all night. And in the end, although he is limping and he's humbled and there is some pain in his life that wasn't there before, God only ever hurts us to heal us we discover that Jacob's descendants are truly blessed because Jacob did not step through the stream into what was in the future without dealing with his stuff first. Would you stand with me? Can we take a moment to close our eyes? I'm going to make somewhat of a bold move in prayer in just a moment. But that is, is that I feel kind of a Holy Spirit confidence that not only has this sermon spoken to me, but it's spoken to many of you as well. As we stand into God's presence, if you would close your eyes but open your heart. And in doing so, is there something that's been keeping you up? Is there something that has filled your heart with fear? Is there a forgiveness that you need to bring before years end? Because as we step into the next decade, it is like crossing a stream into a new chapter in our lives. But as always, when you cross through a stream, there's a new day ahead. But God wants us to leave stuff on this side of the stream before we step through the stream and go into the next decade. Whatever that is, if you've got something you know God is convicting you about by His Spirit,
in this moment, if that's you, if you would just simply raise your hands in front of you, extending them palms up as a sign of what you're offering to God, your brokenness, whatever he has convicted you about, but also a sign of your receptivity to his Holy Spirit and to the resurrected Jesus that he would meet with you and he would bless you.